gun Ramos looking like he's got one more good run Sips a little shaky But his heart is still true Oh how that dog loves hunting with me and you Sporting dog adventures run The Sporting Dog Adventures podcast is proudly brought to you by Soggy Acres Retrievers. Remember, everyone deserves a soggy dog. Welcome to the Sporting Dog Adventures podcast. I am your host, Jeff Fuller of Soggy Acres Retrievers. I also am the host of the hit TV show, Sporting Dog Adventures TV, that was on nine seasons on national TV. Pretty cool. We actually have our show syndicated, and it is on from France to Turkey. It's been on in Russia. It's been on in New Zealand, Canada, the U.S., and a few other places. So it was a fun adventure. We started this podcast because I still love connecting with people about dogs and trying to recruit more into the sport I love. So we're going to have some fun topics today. Today we are going to talk about the Adopt Don't Shop movement in our main part. Our training uh, section, we're going to talk about the manner in which we train, which is our attitude toward our pupils. And then we are going to talk in our hunting tip about the importance of watching the temperature during uh, the, the week where you're going to hunt. So that will be what we talk about today. Again, our podcasts always end up to be around 20 minutes. We like to keep it so it's commute length, and we like to keep it interesting and all about dogs. If you ever want to send us a topic that you would like covered, you can email me at sportingdogtv at gmail.com, and I'm more than happy to include it in one of our upcoming episodes. So let's get to a movement now that I see as being dangerous. And that is the adopt, don't shop movement. Now, don't get me wrong. I am not saying that adopting rescue dogs is bad. Not at all. There are dogs that have had rough lives. They need a lot of love. And I don't have an issue with it. I think it's a great thing. But there is a movement out there of public shaming if you buy a dog from a reputable breeder. And to me, that's just wrong and it's endemic in how our society is headed, this current direction of it, where we're going to try to put our morals in our own mind on other people. When, in essence, it should be dogs are great if you have a rescue dog or a purebred dog. It is wonderful because they all serve different purposes. When people are buying a purebred dog, it's because they want a dog for a certain size, certain personality trait. In my, uh, with our kennel, Soggy Acres Retrievers, they're looking for an athletic dog that's intelligent where they can uh, use them out in the field, whether it's hunting, hiking, or just have them be a great family dog because of their temperament. You aren't always going to get that out of a dog that is only a rescue dog. You don't know where that dog is from. You don't know how they were bred. You don't know if they were checked for any of the genetic issues or other health problems that that breed could face. So it is responsible for people, if they want their dog to do a certain job, to buy from a breeder. There's nothing wrong with that. We shouldn't be castigating. We should be throwing stones at these people, saying how terrible they are because they are buying a dog. 
when you are buying a purebred Labrador Retriever from hunting stock like we have, you again are getting a dog that is bred for its incredible intelligence. It's bred for its drive. It's bred for its health so that you can then invest your time and possibly finances into this dog for using them in the field, whether it's for hunting, waterfowl, hunting, upland, or shed hunting. These dogs are incredibly versatile and they can do great things. So I guess I look at it and I will have people that we sold puppies to that won't even post their puppies on their social media pages because people will basically shout them down because they bought from a breeder instead of getting a rescue dog. Now, I don't think we'll see that as much in the near future uh, because with the, the... with what we are dealing with with COVID, uh, even your shelters are out of dogs, but it will get back to that point. And it's not just that people are shouting people down on social media. They're trying to change the narrative and change how our society even operates through law and legislation. There are many areas that have made it virtually impossible to be a dog breeder and sell purebred dogs, yet You can be a rescue and you can sell dogs. And again, there are a lot of rescues that I don't think people realize are very much geared toward making money as well. Some of these rescues you will watch and if you watch their pages, they'll have the same dogs for up to a year or more that they somehow can't find a home for or can't approve someone for. But yet you'll go to their open houses where they have wine and they have beer and they've got food and it's all being paid for by their rescue group. My wife went to one, don't even talk to her. We are like the best dog family you could ever find in the world. We ultimately ended up buying our chihuahuas, two of them. We call them our rats. We bought them from a very reputable breeder because she couldn't even find a rescue organization that wanted to deal with her or even ask her questions. It was pretty sad. And then she went to this one open house that they had. And it was basically a bunch of people at a social gathering that were hanging out and talking to themselves and really had no time for the people that were there to rescue the dogs. So it wasn't as much that they were a rescue where they were trying to place dogs. In her opinion and mine, it was more that they were using this money so that they had a social type environment. Now, is that every rescue group? No, it absolutely is not. But again, it's not all about where you have to choose one or the other. There are going to be good breeders. There's going to be good rescue groups. There's going to be bad. Finding a good dog for you for the job that you are looking to do with that dog is what is important. You want to make sure that when you get this dog, whether it was buying a rescue dog, because you have to pay for them, they're called adoption fees, but you're basically buying the dog or you're buying a purebred dog. You want to make sure that you can evaluate them so that you are getting what you're looking for. If you're just looking for a pet, there's still so much to look at. You still need to make sure whether it's rescue dog or a purebred dog, that the dog's got a good temperament. Is the dog going to be a good pet? Can the dog be in the house or does the dog have to be outside because of issues that it has? You want to make sure that you're looking at this stuff so that, again, you're not setting yourself up for failure. I hate when I see people that go into a situation either with the zeal of needing one now 
or with the good intentions, but they're uneducated. And they end up feeling just horrible because they have to return a dog. We have it happen probably once a year here at the kennel where people just don't understand how much work a puppy is. We try to explain it to them. We talk to people at length. We have quite the uh, uh, sheet that attaches to our deposit slips so that people have to read through it with expectations of what a puppy is. But ultimately, you want to make sure that you are educated and that you are getting what you're looking for. Now, if that's a rescue dog, that is great. They need homes. But again, it's not our job to be bullies on the playground because someone decides they want a purebred dog because that's what their dream is. We need to get away from where we're separating one against the other and just look at dogs being great. We love dogs. And what can we do with our dogs in the field? So I guess that would be my soapbox for the day. It is something that I have talked to a lot of people about. Uh, it was something that uh, I was asked to be on the lobby for the puppy mill lobby in the state of Wisconsin back when they put a law in. And even with that, I had just come out of law enforcement. I was asked to be uh, to to apply for this uh, this board. I think it was six people from law enforcement that had kennels had applied to be on the board. None were chosen. The majority of the people were taken from the rescue groups and humane society groups. And then they turned around when they had all of these levels and everything that we were supposed to do for the good of the dogs and tried to exempt themselves, which ultimately they fall under the same rules. The rules are not bad rules, but again. Always research things. Never just listen to a slogan, adopt, don't shop, and stop shaming people. One way or the other, dogs are great. That's what you need to center on. If someone buys a dog from a breeder or buys a dog from a rescue group, it doesn't matter. We all love dogs. We all need to be supportive of each other. So that's going to be it for today. Next, we are going to have the manner in which you train your dog. And that would be your attitude toward your dog coming up after this. This part of the podcast is brought to you proudly by Mech Outdoors. Welcome back to the show. This section is about training, and it's going to be called the manner in which we train. With that being how we are working with our dog as a team. When you are training a dog, you need to make sure that you are being fair. We want to teach a dog a command, and then we're going to have a negative consequence if the dog doesn't perform that command once they understand it. So again, you're not going to start punishing a dog with negative uh, reinforcement. You're going to use it as a training tool to help them make a choice. If you're teaching a dog to sit, they need to understand what sit actually means before you put a pinch collar on them or pull up firmly, even just on a leash with a flat buckle collar. You want to make sure that they are understanding it so that as we transition into where we're now demanding them to do a, a command, they are not going to get confused and they'll have a good attitude. What I tell people is that it is imperative and the utmost importance to have far more positive reinforcement with a dog than negative. That being I start puppies out with treats, so yes, they're giving them a treat when they do something and reinforcing it, but you're going to go to praise as your, as your reward. So when you're working with the dog and you give them a command to sit, you're going to tell the dog sit. When the dog's sitting, good dog, good, good dog, good. Then you're going to keep repeating the command sit over and over again. 
so that you can continue to tell the dog that they're doing good while they're sitting. Yes, they're sitting, but you're giving them the chance to understand he really likes it or she really likes it when I am in this position and listening, so this is a good thing. Now, when you tell the dog, once they understand the command, to sit and they don't, I use a pinch collar. I will snap the pinch collar up so that it does indeed pinch a little bit, and it creates discomfort. You want to make it enough discomfort so the dog thinks in their mind, that really sucks. I really want praise. And then again, once they're sitting, you're going to tell them sit over and over and over again and keep telling them good dog. Try to keep your positive reinforcement to 80 to 90% of your interaction with your dog and try to keep your negative reinforcement to be 10 to 20%. Understand that your body language and your voice inflection means everything when you're talking to people, but it also does dogs. I always tell guys when they have their arms crossed and they tell their dog, good dog, good. I always tell them, what would you say if you walked into your boss and they said, hey, I need to talk to you. In that manner of voice, their arms crossed. You're going to look and go, holy crap, I am in trouble. So you need to keep that in mind when you're working with dogs. They are as nonverbal as people are. And you want to make sure that they understand that they're getting their positive, not just through what you're saying, because they don't speak English, but through your voice inflection, through your body language, and then keep it at 80, 90, 80 to 90% positive and 10 to 20% negative so that you've got quite the wide spectrum and it lets them make the easy choice, which is I want praise. So I hope that helps you today. We are going to end our training uh, segment for the day, and we are going to move on. Next, we are going to have our hunting tip, which is going to be out while watching the temperature of your hunt a few days before and during your hunt so that you know where the birds will be. All that and more coming up next. This portion of the podcast is proudly brought to you by Boucher Automotive in Janesville, Wisconsin. Welcome back to the show. Now we are in our hunting section of the uh, podcast. And I wanted to talk about the temperature when you're waterfowl hunting. I had an interesting week. I went up deer hunting. And I was watching birds on our property and how they were acting when it was unseasonably warm. We were in the 70s in November, which was record, record highs for Wisconsin. And I'm watching the birds and how they're acting. And it was interesting to me because generally speaking, when there are geese that are in certain areas of the property I own, they're roosting there. They will sit there until about eight o'clock. They leave and then they come back probably a half hour after shooting hours. When it was warmer out, I was actually watching the birds trade up and down throughout the area where they would get up. You could see them a mile, two miles away. They would come in and they would land almost in like a social way. And the ducks were doing the same thing. The ducks, some would leave and come back at noon. Some would leave and, and come at, at like eight, nine o'clock and come back at three. And some would sit on the water until 3.30 and then leave and come back well after dark. <clears throat> to me... I'd never seen this before, but I also have never seen 70 degrees in the state of Wisconsin during November. So it was just, it was interesting because I'm watching how the warm weather made it so that these birds didn't have to feed all day because they weren't burning calories. They didn't have to feed at certain times because the water was open or uh, freezing up. 
and they basically kind of all went on a different schedule and it was it was it was kind of funny because you could have done a really interesting hunt where you could have sat all day and taken birds because the same amount that were going in and out were pretty consistent except for a few solid blocks uh during the middle of the day from like noon i'd say uh, 11 o'clock to like one or two there wasn't much movement it was pretty dead but you would constantly see birds up on the horizon and flying around at different times and it took it from where it was like an intense head to head out to where they were going to feed and an intense uh, rush back to almost like a trickle throughout like three or four hours so when you are doing your scouting Everyone always likes to find where the birds are and where the birds are going. What I will tell you is that plan on a longer day if you have warmer temperatures because what I saw was the birds were really spaced out and how they were doing things and how they were acting. Hope that helps you for this week's tip in hunting. That is it for this, this uh, show today. I want to thank everyone. I hope everyone has a great week. God bless. Sporting dog adventures run, boy, run. Everything you need is here under the sun. Everything you need is here.